This is Jonathan Hansen. I'm the president both of World Ministries International as well as Eagles Saving Nations. Please go to my website, worldministries.org, worldministries.org. A great website. You can see what we're doing all over the world, as well as the United States. You can see our television radio programs Monday through Sunday, seven days a week, and so much more. But also Eagle Saving Nations. We've got to have a great awakening because actually we're in a communist takeover right now. The Republic, they're trying to topple, move us into the New World Order. Uh, only the church can stop this insanity. So again, Eagle Saving Nations, we need you to join us right now. Now, I'm going to continue on the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a tabernacle season. We're going to talk about atonement today, but I'm just going to uh, just summarize it in case this is the first time you've tuned in and uh, you don't even know what the feasts are all about. Well, you have seven feasts. You have the spring feast. All of them point toward Jesus Christ. It's all concerning the Messiah. Now, the first four have come to pass. Passover. Jesus died on a cross. He's our Passover lamb. Unleavened bread. Dealing with sin. Removing sin from our lives. First fruits. Resurrection day. Again, Jesus took our sin on the cross. And Pentecost, the power of God. And that's what Eagle Saving Nations is all about. Getting back to Pentecost, the power of God, working through the believer. So instead of being afraid and intimidated, they speak with power and authority like Peter did after Pentecost. Now the fall feast. All have to re deal with again Jesus Christ. And these are yet to be fulfilled, but we're getting so much closer. It goes with the, into eschatology, the return of Christ. Trumpets, spiritual warfare, the horn of our salvation. I'll tell you what, Jesus is our warrior, our fighter, the horn of our salvation. When he returns, he removes evil governments. He deals again the plagues against those that come against his church. Uh, he is the horn of our salvation, the power of God, uh, the voice and might of God. Six is atonement. We're going to discuss it today. It goes into fasting and prayer. It's the only time in the whole Bible that they mandatory one day of fasting and prayer. And uh, test of our faith goes into confession and repentance. So if you are a practicing Jew, some are not, uh, they set aside one day of year for fasting and prayer. Tabernacles, the fulfillment of the return of Christ, where now he'll be with us forever and ever. Not just the Holy Spirit in us, but we'll be together with him. Okay, so we want to talk about, maybe I should just clarify it a little bit. Some, you know, it changes every year, and this is the reason. The Gregorian calendar was named after Pope Gregory Thirteenth, who established it in 1582, based on the sun or solar calendar. The Pope, the sun god. The Jewish calendar is a moon or lunar calendar. The solar calendar is one, 11 and a quarter days longer than the lunar calendar, which explains why the celebration days are different each year. Sometimes the Feast of Tabernacles falls in uh, September. Sometimes they fall in October. The Hebrew name for the Feast of Tabernacles is Sukkot. Sukkot means booths or huts. Uh, we as a staff used to gather seven days and nights out in tents just to give an idea and how blessed we are that we are not 
going through the wilderness for 40 years and 40 nights. And uh, I should say 40 years and every night for 40 years. But uh, we, 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 we heard enough little grumbling and complaining with uh, Christians for seven days in tents. Well. You know, worked out some of their carnality and luxury. Uh, it, you know, I wonder what 40 years would have been like. But Sukkot means booths or huts. Tabernacles means tent or a temporary shelter. So it's also called a feast of booths, tents, Again, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, one aspect of the Christian life that keeps many believers from entering God's rest, he wants us to enter his rest. We're going through troubling times, especially, again, what the world is going to face before the return of Christ. You can see troubling times in America. He wants us to be at rest, not a basket case. We need to know how to cope with trials in life and trials that are going to come upon us. We all experience difficulties that try our faith and test our obedience to the revealed will of God in our lives. We all do. How we respond to these trials often make the difference in whether or not we know how to have rest in God, how to rest in God. The Day of Atonement is a aid that God has given us to teach us about our Lord Jesus Christ and how to handle the inevitable trials that confront every believer. We all go through trials. There's no way around it. We are made of flesh and blood. When we're born, we already start to die. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, he took away the law of sin and death. In other words, eternal separation because of the original sin of Adam and we've all sinned. Now we can have eternal life. It represents the sixth step, atonement, in our walk with God. Historical background, again, you can see all the feasts in Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus instructions concerning the day of atonement. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by the fire to the Lord. You know, the fire of God, the Holy Spirit. And you shall do no work on that day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted of soul on that day, he shall be cut off from the people. You know, we have mercy and grace right now, but if we don't get it right with God, we're going to be cut off for eternity. Any person who does any work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout all the generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath and a solemn rest and you shall afflict your souls. Again, that was Leviticus 23, specifically 26 through 32. Now, the Day of Atonement. This was the great day of national cleansing and repentance. Don't you wish all of America honored it? Don't you wish even churches today honored it? Christians. It's not mandatory. We're not Jews. But I tell you, we should be doing this anyway. In fact, we should be working at our salvation with fear and trembling every day. But it was a great day of national cleansing and repentance from sin. It was on this day that God judged the sins of the entire nation. In view of this, the Day of Atonement became known as the Day of Judgment. 
The Day of Atonement was the one day in the year when the high priest would go behind, beyond the veil, you know, behind it, into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifices and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Thank God when he went, when Jesus ascended, he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat. This offering of the innocent substitutionary sacrifice made possible the atonement for the sins of the nations. See, the priest did it in anticipation of the Messiah doing it. We know the Messiah has done it. We recognize Jesus as our Messiah. The word atonement means to cover. See, we are covered. Our sins are covered. On the great, not only that, our judgment is covered. Thank God. Aren't you happy? Our judgment is covered. I'm glad. Believe me. On the great day of atonement, the sins of the nation were covered by the blood of the sacrifice. Now, again, I wish America recognized this. We need to be covered for our sins so, again, this nation can be saved. I'm talking about beyond toppling the republic, but I'm talking about preventing judgment that's going to come from God. Because this day was the day of judgment, it was a time of great soul affliction. It was a day of godly sorrow, godly repentance, and confession of sin. It was time of mourning before God with a broken spirit and contrite heart. It was the only required day of fasting in the entire Bible. Anyone who would not repent of his sins would suffer death. The Jews further believed that the day of final judgment and accounting of the soul would come on the day of atonement. On this day, the future of every individual would be sealed and the gates of heaven would be closed. In light of this belief, the Jews performed many good deeds during the 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. This 10-day period became known as the Awesome Days or the 10 Days of Repentance as the people prepared themselves spiritually for the Day of Atonement. They would express their concern and hope by greeting each other with a phrase, may your name be inscribed in the book of life. Jesus. Praise God. May your name be inscribed in the book of life. That's my hope and prayer. Amen. Amen. May my name. Amen. Let's look how Jesus fulfilled this. He fulfilled the spiritual aspects of the day of atonement when he went into the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood, which he shed for the sins of the world. We have been forgiven, made clean once and for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus did what the blood of bulls and goats could never do. It did not just cover our sins, it took them away, never to be remembered anymore. See, we don't need any condemnation, but we need to stay under the blood because it's the only way of salvation. When we receive this great blessing of forgiveness once and for all, when we repent of our sins with a broken and contrite spirit, accept Christ as the innocent substitutionary sacrifice who died and was judged in my place, in your place. At that point, our future can be sealed with the Holy Spirit, with God. Our names are inscribed, recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. Guarding our position before God. Again, the only thing that could change that is just like when Egypt, the plagues came against Egypt, the final plague, the death of the firstborn, the Hebrews had to stay under the blood also and not go out or they were subject to the death angel. 
We've got to stay under the blood and not continually, purposely continue in our sins. We receive God's blessing when we do. To cover, again, atonement is to cover. I'm glad my sins are covered by the blood. Even though God has forgiven us, this does not mean we do not need a continuous cleansing in our daily lives. Each one of us need a continuing, continuous cleansing. And you know it especially if you're married. Uh, it will test your faith. It'll test your character. It'll text, uh, test your sanctification, uh, having to live with another human being. Uh, every man and woman knows exactly the faults of the other. And how do you handle those faults? Can you cover their blood, you know, under the blood of Jesus? Or do you respond in a different way? This tests who we are, our character. And God will continue to let us go th through things in this life until our character becomes pure gold. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sins. There's no one perfect, no, not one, but this is where grace enters in. Grace, grace. If you can give your spouse grace, you have a great marriage. If you can't, God will not give you grace and you got a lot of trouble in this life until you learn grace. Some people don't learn it until they've made a mess out of their life. Grace is what it's all about. God's giving you grace, you give other people grace. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Only you can blot out your name in a continuous act of rebellion from the book of life. Only you can. God will never blot it out. 1 John 1, 6 through 9. One of the ways that God works this in us is through the trials of life that test our faith and draw us closer to God. Through the trials of life. I, I, you know that song, through it all, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. I look through my life and I see how my different trials, I've gone through some deep waters, but it's drawn me closer and closer and closer and closer to God. I am so much different than I was in my 30s. And that's a good thing. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm a lot more patient and, and forgiving and everything else than I, I was my 20s and 30s. Young 30s. Although whatever conflict you have in marriage, it comes from this lack of maturity in you or your spouse or both of you. Usually there has to be somebody more mature or people don't stay married. That's the way it is. If you got two people with the same level of sanctification, you got trouble. And that's why over 52% in the church get divorced. It takes maturity. In other words, it takes grace. Recognizing that God forgave us, we need to forgive too. Amen. We need to forgive too. Amen. If we can only do that, relationships will never be broken. Sounds easy, but it's not. Just work with people and see, man, you're dealing with stubborn people. Jesus experienced great trials. 
God uses these trials to purify our motives and actions that we might be more and more conformed to the moral character of Jesus. Jesus wants you to be like him. Remember Watchman Nee? God is killing you. In other words, he's killing yourself, your pride, so you can be more like him. And then he can use you when you die. You die. My pride dies. The more it dies, the more the Holy Spirit can work through me. In other words, the more God can use me. And that is really the way it is. The more we get out of the way, the more God can use us. Get out of the way. Again, it's easier said than done. And that's why trials have to come into our life. Jesus himself experienced trials. His trials were tests of obedience that forced him to constantly rely on the Heavenly Father and seek him through prayer and fasting. Jesus gave us his example. He prayed and fast. It's all the way through the New Testament. Right to the Garden of Gethsemane. He brought his apostles with him, future apostles, disciples. Can you pray with me? Jesus purifies his bride, the church, by baptizing us in the fiery trials of our faith. The purpose is to force us to earnestly seek God through prayer and fasting, just like he did. When John spoke of Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, he also said that Jesus would baptize us with fire. John said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. His windowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquestionable fire. Luke 3, 16 through 17. So um, again, God is dealing with the chaff in our life, isn't he? Uh, we've, again, we've gone through, everyone should, you know, I'm sure has gone through deep waters. If not, you will go through deep waters. Because you are being prepared for heaven. You're being prepared to be like Christ. I've gone through a lot of trials over the years. I'm talking a lot. Including losing a spouse. But I've gone through trials and had persecution, sat in cells, falsely accused, everything else. All of it has drawn me closer to God, make me more forgiving, to give more and more grace. It's all had its effect in my life. And that's what trials are for. Jesus experienced the baptism of fire and promised all who followed him, hey guys, you're going to do it too. We learned this from our conversation Jesus had with the mother of two disciples. The mother of Zebedee, sons, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you want? What do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you're asking me. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? They said to him, we are able. Now that was foolishness. They didn't know what they were talking about. So he said to them, you indeed will drink because in the future, yes, the apostles died for the cause of Christ. They matured and they went through deep waters and became martyrs. So he said to them, you indeed will drink my cup and be baptized in the baptism I am baptized with. But they weren't ready at that moment. 
See, Peter, yeah, I'll do anything. He ran, hid, and lied. Remember Peter? The boasting Peter? Later on, he became such a tremendous apostle. But he had to grow in this area of life that God wants all of us to grow in. And God atoned. In other words, covered his sins. He says, I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand, my left is not mine to give, but it's for those whom the Lord my Father prepared it for. Matthew 20, 20 through 23. In other words, God the Father knows who is going to sit where. In other words, how they respond to the trials in life, are they worthy in this area of ruling and reigning? How we respond on earth is important. Some people go to their grave cursing. Well, I can guarantee you they're not going to have any uh, place of honor in heaven. I'm not sure if they're going to be there. Before his arrest, you know, Jesus went through a lot of trials. We won't cover all of that. Personal application, when Jesus experienced in his flesh while on earth, whatever he did, we are as his followers, we will also experience our inner self being tested. Jesus was crucified to, for our sins. Our response to this is to die to ourself and take up our cross daily. Jesus was buried with our sins. Our response is to put off the old man of sin daily. Choose to put it off. Jesus was raised from the dead. Likewise, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but have been raised from our spiritual grave to put on the new man and walk with a newness of life. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, enabling him to minister in the power of God. We too must be filled with the Holy Spirit for the same purpose. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He immediately entered personal warfare, spiritual warfare, and many trials to test his faith. When we become filled with the Holy Spirit, we also enter spiritual warfare and great trials, trials beyond any dimension we've ever experienced before. As soon as we become a Christian, we're in a spiritual battle. And uh, the more effective we become, the more we're a target of the uh, enemy and the more trials we go through. But God uses them to make us powerful and strong and moving in the supernatural. Peter spoke of this with these words, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial in which you're going through as though some strange thing is happening to you. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to the faithful creator. 1 Peter 4, 12, 17 and 19. Now, Jesus did not die to save us from trials and problems. He died in order that we might have victory and God's rest in spite of our trials and problems while we go through them. Okay, he died so we would have rest going through them. Not to save us from them. It's appointed unto man once to die and then comes judgment. Nothing can take that away because of Adam. Our response to trials is not to run from them or pretend they don't exist, but to commit our soul to God who is our faithful creator. will never allow us to have a trial so great we can't have the grace to go through it. He will give us the grace. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Peter, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by the various trials 
that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glorify at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 7 through 8. Peter next encourages us by saying, any trial we face will only be for a little while. It won't last forever. Once God has used it to accomplish his purpose in our life, this trial will pass. We determine how long the trial will last by the way we respond to it. I preached a sermon, some of you heard me 25 years ago, around the block, around the block. Some people keep going around the same block, hit their nose, bloody, bloody, bloody. Finally, maybe after, some people learn right away and are promoted to another block. Some people hit their head for 25 years. I've known those kind of hard cases. They're not every day. Usually you can learn and move on, but uh, there are some hard nuts. But if we seek God through prayer and fasting with a broken and contrite spirit, the trial will quickly pass. If we become angry with God because of our trial or try to run from it, it usually prolongs it. Peter then states that we have various trials. Sometimes it seems that our whole world is falling apart, that everything seems to be going wrong. This does not necessarily mean you are living in any sin or that God is trying to punish you. It could very well just be a normal process and normal pressures of, uh, that pile up on us from time to time. God will use them in your life to develop his character in you if you let them. You know, stress kills. A lot of us, you know, if you let stress get to you, get to you, it doesn't mean that you've done any sin other than not learning how to give them to God. And every one of us sometimes have come under stress that we haven't, then we shake ourselves, hey, let me give it back to God. This is killing me. I can't sleep. I mean, we've all, I've, I've had to catch myself many times, say, God, I can't deal with this. Take it back. You know, and he says, you should have never gave it. You should have never uh, kept it. I always want it. And uh, then when I realize it and I, I get it, let God deal with it, then you go to sleep again. But we all have stress. Again, God uses our trials to develop his character in us if we'll let him do so. Peter points out that going through trials can be a very grievous and stressful experience. To acknowledge this doesn't mean you lack faith or that we're not trusting God. It merely means we're facing the situation realistically and telling it like it is. In other words, we're human and honest. But we do not have to carry this burden alone. Instead, we give our burdens to God through prayer and thanksgiving. 1 Peter 5, 7. Again, the purpose of trials is to test the genuineness of our faith. It tests our faith, the trials of life. And that's what also the church is all about, the body of Christ, to support one another in our trials. Every one of us has needed support, and we will. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been watching, listening to the warning program. I hope you understand that give God your trial let him continue to do a good work in you. He has good things planned for you. He has victory ahead for you. Realize that. <laughs> 